Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Ackeson Podcast. Today, I'd like to go over the curious timeline for taking down Trump. There are all kinds of timelines that go over President Trump's mischief, his supposed collusion with Russia, his other transgressions, but not so many that look at other viewpoints and other things that may be going on. It's been three full years since President Trump was elected, and among those who predicted he'd never win the election or that he might have been conspiring with Hillary Clinton all along to help her win, or those who claimed that he worked for Russian President Vladimir Putin, for all those who said that if he were elected, it would immediately crash the stock market his first week in office, for everyone who claimed a President Trump would ban all Muslims, for those who said he would send illegal immigrants home en masse on buses and trains and would start a nuclear war, I understand there have been real concerns. Fortunately, none of those things came to pass. But there are different concerns that have borne out. We continue to get evidence of an orchestrated effort among government insiders and the well-connected to take down President Trump at all costs. The public evidence indicates that this effort was hatched well before President Trump even took office. We'll review just a few examples of that. Trump's critics would argue there was good reason to devise plots against him before he was inaugurated. They said that he would be uniquely dangerous to our democracy. His supporters would argue that the opposition has crossed the line into unlawful actions involving wiretapping and attempts to frame Trump and his associates, and that they're simply afraid that Trump and a Trump administration might get too close to some very uncomfortable and potentially illegal things that have been done inside our government over the past decade. In any event, I think we can build an oversimplified timeline to make the point. It starts on August 15, 2016. Remember, after FBI counter-espionage chief Peter Strzok and FBI attorney Lisa Page together met with Deputy FBI Director Andrew McCabe, Strzok text Page that They couldn't take the risk of Trump getting elected without having an insurance policy in place. Those texts were reported some time ago, but they really, in retrospect, take on a lot of important meaning. And remember, a lot of these text messages were erased. The FBI said there was some technical snafu and they didn't have any of this material and they were only recovered with the help from the Inspector General. So that was August 2016 about three months before the election. Let's go now to October 2016, one month before the election. Benjamin Wittes, founder of a left-wing liberal blog called Lawfare, Lawfare meaning the use of law as a weapon of conflict, Benjamin Wittes writes, what if Trump wins? We need an insurance policy against the unthinkable. There's that phrase again, insurance policy. Wittes goes on to say the unthinkable is Donald Trump's actually winning the presidency. He writes that his vision of an insurance policy would rely on what he calls a coalition of all democratic forces to challenge and obstruct Trump using the courts as a tool and Congress as a partner or tool. He even mentions impeachment two weeks before Trump is elected. Now, mind you, all of these things have come to pass. There are coalitions using the law and the courts to challenge and obstruct Trump every step of the way. Congress is being used as a partner or tool 
just as Benjamin Wittes described in October of 2016. He laid it all out there for us. By the way, Wittes has acknowledged being a good friend of none other than fired FBI Director James Comey. Wittes spoke to a New York Times reporter about Comey's interactions with President Trump right after Robert Mueller was appointed as special counsel. So also in October of 2016, the same month that Benjamin Wittes, friends of then-FBI Director James Comey, writes of needing an insurance policy against President Trump, the same month, the FBI begins a year-long secret wiretap on Trump campaign advisor Carter Page. A wiretap that, because of the way the wiretaps work, would have allowed Intel officials access to information and conversations involving many other people who had contact with Carter Page and people who had contact with the people who had contact with Carter Page, other Trump associates, possibly Trump himself. Now, mind you, Page was never charged with any offense after the FBI wiretapped him for a year under the theory that he was somehow a Russian agent. And yet the FBI never even apologized for the unwarranted privacy intrusions. They just collected that information. The lawfulness of that wiretap is now under question. So let's skip ahead a little bit for the sake of this being a very simplified timeline to January 3rd, 2017. Trump has been elected president, but he hasn't taken office yet. And the intel community is already very, very concerned what President Trump and his national security advisor, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, might come in and do. Flynn had already made it well known that he was going to sort of take names and clean out the swamp. He knew about alleged surveillance abuses he was going to expose and remedy, among other things. So anyway, the intelligence community doesn't like that President Trump is coming in. Senate Minority Leader Charles Schumer, on January 3rd, 2017, publicly warns Trump in a TV interview that if he takes on the intel community, the intelligence community has, quote, six ways from Sunday to get back at you. Yes, that was a little chilling at the time to think that our intel agencies would be getting back at anybody, let alone someone who'd been elected president of the United States if he didn't behave the way they wanted him to behave. But looking back in retrospect, again, this has important meaning because we do know that intel officials took many steps against President Trump. We now know that once these top intel officials left office, intel officials like James Clapper and John Brennan, they continued the march and the drumbeat against Donald Trump. They went on TV and spoke almost daily against Donald Trump. They had six ways from Sunday to get back at Donald Trump. On January 11th, again, still before President Trump took office, this is in 2017, there was a really interesting political investigation that I noted at the time, but it wasn't really widely reported, didn't fit the narrative. This political investigation concluded that Ukrainian government officials tried to help Hillary Clinton in our election and undermine Trump with help from a Ukrainian-American operative who was consulting for the Democratic National Committee. This was big news. While everybody else was looking at Russia, Politico's investigation concluded that the Ukrainians had actually been successful in interfering in our election on behalf of Hillary Clinton. All right, skipping ahead now to January 30th, 2017, days after President Trump takes office, attorney Mark Zayed tweets out that a coup has started. 
and, quote, impeachment will follow ultimately. Now, Zayed is the attorney who often deals with government investigations, whistleblowers, and clients in the intelligence community. Him saying this, I mean, he was one of many that used impeachment language at the very start, but him saying this at the very beginning and now being involved in some of the impeachment discussion doesn't seem like it would be coincidence only. A few months after that attorney, Mark Zayed, made the tweets about a coup starting and impeachment will follow, he tweeted something else. Quote, I predict CNN will play a key role in Donald Trump not finishing out his full term as president. He also tweeted, we will get rid of him and this country is strong enough to survive even him and his supporters. And, this attorney Zayed tweeted, as one falls, two more will take their place and the coup will occur in many steps. I mean, he's laying out what sounds like a plan that people have. And if you look at what happened over the last couple of years, there was one plan being executed after another. Every time someone did get knocked out of the administration, someone who might be anti-Trump or part of the so-called deep state, were there two more who took their place, as Zayed said? Now, as I alluded to a moment ago, Zayed went on to represent the alleged whistleblower in the current Trump impeachment effort, the one who's anonymous, the one that nobody really knows for sure who their name is, the one who was maybe going to testify to Congress, but now... It looks like Democrats will not call him to testify, and they don't want Republicans talking to him either. In any event, Zayed has stated in his own defense that when he talked about a coup, he was simply referring to what he saw as a lawful attempt by attorneys to remove an unlawful president from office. Okay, let's go to May 17, 2017. That would be just a couple of months after President Trump took office. Special Counsel Robert Mueller began investigating Trump. Was this part of that plan that had been discussed? Was this part of the insurance policy? Remember, the investigation was into Trump's supposed Russia ties and his ties to Russian President Putin. At the time, there were people saying that there was hard evidence, incontrovertible evidence, that Trump was working directly as a foreign agent for Putin, that the two had conspired together during the 2016 election to make sure Trump got in office. Okay, let's go to fall, August of 2017, late summer, early fall. Trump critic and former director of national intelligence, James Clapper, is hired as an analyst at CNN. It reminds me of Zayed tweeting out that he predicted CNN would play a key role in Donald Trump not finishing out his first term. Anyway, on CNN, James Clapper attacks Trump regularly, at times with incorrect information. He acts as though he has inside material from people who are working in the administration or people still in the intelligence community, but routinely this material that CNN is reporting, that James Clapper is implying is true and others are circulating it, proves to be wrong or incorrect. They sometimes are quoting anonymous sources who prove also to be incorrect. Is this a propaganda campaign, an operation that is part of this insurance policy? part of the plan to get rid of Donald Trump so he doesn't finish out his first full term as president? In January of 2018, that's when former Vice President Joe Biden publicly bragged that he got Ukraine to fire its top prosecutor by threatening to withhold U.S. aid. 
The most amazing thing about that to me is that's the very thing that Democrats are now accusing President Trump of doing. Only Biden acknowledged it on video. Not even a question as to whether he used a quid pro quo. But for some reason, Democrats aren't looking into that. They're trying to say that President Trump implied a quid pro quo or had something in mind that he didn't state explicitly when he talked to Ukraine. But Joe Biden actually did it. The prosecutor that Joe Biden got fired was investigating Burisma at the time. That's a Ukrainian energy company where Biden's son had been serving on the board making a ton of money since 2014 while his father was vice president. Now let's assume there was nothing untoward about the call. Let's assume the best. People rarely give Donald Trump that benefit of the doubt, but let's give it to Joe Biden. Let's say he didn't even know that the prosecutor was investigating Burisma, the company tied to his son at the time. It's still a conflict of interest. Should Joe Biden have been overseeing Ukraine issues when his son was making so much money working with a company so tied into Ukraine? In any event, that was January 2018, and a month later, Trump critic and former CIA director John Brennan gets hired as an analyst for NBC and MSNBC, where, like his counterpart is doing over on CNN, Brennan attacks Trump regularly, at times, with incorrect information. By the way, if you read John Brennan's social media Twitter feed at the time, you really might be shocked that a former Intel director, a former CIA director, would say the things that he's been saying. As much as he may dislike or disagree with Donald Trump, the sorts of tweets that he was tweeting out, the vitriol, the hate that he was aiming at President Trump, really says a lot, I think, about what he might have done or have been willing to do when he was working inside the government. So let's go to March 22nd, 2019 earlier this year. The special counsel's probe ended without concluding that Trump or his associates conspired with Russia, despite what critics such as Brennan and Clapper had long insisted. Democrats now are unable to unite on an impeachment push over these findings. They're not able to mount support within the House of Representatives to start serious impeachment hearings. So obviously, if you're a Trump critic, who wants him impeached so he doesn't serve out his full term, you need a new plan. In April this year, Ukraine elected a new president and former Vice President Biden's son, Hunter Biden, stepped down from the board of that Ukrainian energy company, Burisma. A couple of months later, July 25th, 2019, President Trump called the newly elected president of Ukraine. And in that call, among other things, He asked for cooperation in a probe involving long-standing corruption in Ukraine, corruption that could have alleged ties to U.S. Democrats and the 2016 campaign. This is the call where Trump's enemies say he did exactly what Joe Biden has already admitted to having done. A short time later, August 12, 2019, someone alleging to be a whistleblower files a complaint about that phone call with the intelligence community's inspector general. This anonymous person alleges that President Trump sought political dirt to use against Biden in 2020 as part of a quid pro quo in that phone call. Now, it's worth mentioning, and I've written about this, 
quids pro quo are not inherently illegal or even improper. In fact, a quid pro quo is a key component of most foreign aid. We usually give foreign aid with conditions attached. That's the purpose and the point. However, the whistleblower is claiming basically that Trump is improperly withholding military aid using an improper quid pro quo for his own political purposes. The hard part is, if you'll recall, President Trump quickly released a transcript of this call that shows no quid pro quo. And the president of Ukraine said he felt no pressure. So even if there were a quid pro quo, and even if it were an improper quid pro quo, as of now, there's no real evidence. One would have to get into the mind of the president and say he meant something he didn't state or he implied something that wasn't explicit. On September 9th, 2019, the inspector general notified the House Intelligence Committee about that whistleblower complaint. This is interesting, I think, although the committee chairman, House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, a Democrat from California, initially denied it, it turns out he and his staff had already met with the alleged whistleblower, maybe conspired with him, depending on your viewpoint. On September 24th, 2019, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announces an impeachment inquiry based on the alleged whistleblower's claims. This was the day that President Trump released the transcript of that call with Ukraine's president, no mention of a quid pro quo, no mention of political dirt, withholding aid, no mention of campaign 2020. Now again, Trump's critics would counter that these things were implicit. However, there's no evidence that Ukraine ever provided Trump with dirt on Biden. No evidence so far. That would be a necessary component of any alleged quid pro quo. The offer has to be made and accepted and delivered upon. If there was an implicit offer and no dirt was provided, there was no quid pro quo. On September 25th, 2019, that's when the president of Ukraine came forward and said publicly he never felt pushed by President Trump to investigate Biden or take any other action. And let's end this simplified timeline with October 31st, 2019, Halloween. The House approved impeachment process rules, the vote largely along party lines, with two Democrats siding with Republicans, but all the other Democrats approving the impeachment process rules So the process begins. Now, it could be a coincidence that so many names in this timeline, from John Brennan and James Comey to Ukraine and CNN, did factor in to the current Trump impeachment push, kind of as predicted before Trump was even taking office. It could be a coincidence that we've ended up here where some Trump critics said they hoped to be even before he was sworn in, when they said they needed an insurance policy when they said they would have a plan that would be executed in phases. On the other hand, in retrospect, the biggest surprise might be that all things considered, it took this long for them to get to this point. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If so, subscribe, share it with your friends. And if you like original discussions, you might also want to subscribe to my Full Measure After Hours podcast. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. Thanks for listening.